Hey there, you're listening to We Just Like to Talk. I'm your host, Becky. And I'm Cara. This is a podcast for easy listening about hard subjects. Today's guest is... Hi, I'm Lisa DiDomenico, and I'm a career and mindset coach. Thank you for joining us. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I am, like I said, I'm a career and mindset coach. I'm also a mom and a wife. And I transitioned out of counseling to become a career coach um, just about three years ago. And I'm now helping unfulfilled professionals figure out what they need to do to find work they love and create a life they love. And where are you based? I am in uh, the North Shore of Montreal, Quebec, Canada. So I'm in a little town called saint marcel lac where nobody nobody knows where that is. <laughs> <laughs> so I live in the booties, essentially. But do you work with people like all over? I do. So my clients are local as much as they are uh, coming from uh, various provinces across Canada. I've also uh, have I also have clients in the U.S. and I'm starting to get uh, my um, I'm starting to get visibility across different countries. I've actually just signed on Ooh. a new client from Singapore. So oh, uh, yeah, go. slowly growing, going global, <laughs> yeah, going international, global. baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Becky, you're the one who connected with Lisa on LinkedIn. Could you tell us a little bit about like, how did you find Lisa or did Lisa find you? And what was that like? I mean, I remember seeing your stuff and being like, oh, wow, like her stuff is really legit. I'm curious, like, you know, what's a career cl clarity coach? Um, I've never really like heard that term before. So, yeah. Right. Oh, then, that's so sweet. Thank you. Yeah. And then I, you know, I know we had like a connection call and we, we just really hit it off. Yeah, absolutely. And we bonded on the fact that, and actually all three of us are highly sensitive people. So yes. I think that's pretty cool. Cool. So I am curious um, about how you would define like your previous work as a counselor and now that you're a clarity coach or, or career clarity coach, um, what would you say is like the difference between the two and how you would distinguish it? Mm. Yeah, it's something, you know, I had to think really hard about to even make this leap uh, because the lines can indeed be blurry. Uh, but um, what is really clear to me now is counseling um, requires a clinical orientation. So it's primarily focused on helping people address like dysfunction, chronic mental health issues, and I think process and heal from the past. Uh, whereas coaching is very goal oriented and focused on helping people step into their potential and build out their future. Um, so I see myself 
as a coach, as more of a facilitator of change and that I help clients find their answers and their solutions. And I provide support structure and accountability to actually achieving them and bringing them to fruition. So there's, it's a lot more focus on um, the future and like where you are and where you want to go versus mm-hmm. counseling was very much around what's the past and like what's not working and, you know, more serious chronic issues and how to heal and move past those. Um, so those I would think are the, are that's where I, I draw the line mm-hmm. um, between the two. That was a very clear explanation. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And Thank I think you. that's helpful for everyone, like whether you are a coach or whether you are in, you know, clinical psychology or whether you're looking for, you know, either one to work with. Yeah. I love the way that you described it. I was actually speaking with another career coach um, this morning and because we were she posted something about mental health and how it's, you know, it's so important, especially nowadays, and that she's happy to refer her clients or to at least say, like, I think you need, you know, you might want to consider therapy because that's not my, you know, that's not my field. I know to stay in my lane sort of thing. So we we're having sort of this discussion in the comments and and I'm like, oh, it's so that's so great. And I'm like, I definitely see the value of both. And I've worked mm-hmm. with both and she sort of, you know, put it back on me to say, how would you like describe the difference or what was your, ex- what's your experience with both of them? And I, I didn't have the exact same response because I was just trying to think of, maybe I was too detailed in mind, but I was sort of saying like, um, when I was working with a life coach, it was more about working on like certain current fears, let's say, or um, maybe like dealing with like some conflict, like they're not there to say exactly maybe like tools necessarily but just to say like oh here you know you might want to have a conversation with that friend or even like taking steps in the right direction especially when it came to like career whereas like obviously with my therapist it's more of like let's talk about like traumas and like current heavy issues and like yeah you might touch on light stuff but it's mostly like let's dive in really deep you know, one of the things I had to kind of figure out for myself as I as I shifted and transitioned into my coaching role was, you know, where is the line when it comes to talking about thoughts, behaviors, actions? Um, mm-hmm. You know, when are we getting into like, as Gabor Mate says, like big T trauma versus small T trauma? <laughs> you know, or like mm-hmm. when when is the when is the pro- problem more chronic and should be dre- addressed in in mental health uh, by a um, you know mental health professional versus coaching? And I think you know the way I see it um, in my coaching is. I only address, you know, the the behaviors, uh, thoughts, and um, behaviors and thoughts that arise that are actually specifically getting in the way of achieving the, the desired goal. Mm-hmm. So I'm not necessarily going. Well, I'm not not even necessarily. I'm not going back into the future. Uh, sorry, I'm not going back into the past mm-hmm. and trying to figure out the root cause and you know and how like you know, creates dysfunction in someone's life, if it creates dysfunction, I'm really trying to just unlock what the client needs now to get to the next place they want to be in. Mm. Because you have to have a certain level of readiness, self-awareness and capacity 
um, for introspection already established to be able to coach forward. And mm-hmm. if a person is still in the process of processing and healing and understanding, um, you know, why they are the way they are, or like certain chronic dysfunctions that are interfering with their functioning, then that's a place for therapy, not coaching. Why career clarity coach instead <laughs> of just career coach? Yes. So career clarity coach, because I think a lot of people, so many people are unhappy in their career, in their job, in their work, but they don't actually know what they need to be happy. Right. They just need to, they just want to figure out, okay, what else can I do? Like, I don't like this, but what else can I do? And they struggle to find the answer to that question. And so without clarity around what you want, need, desire in order to feel happy and fulfilled in your work, and I also say in your life because I don't necessarily um, separate the two, I have a holistic approach um, to career, Mm -hmm. Um, you're not going to find it. (laughs) If you don't know what you're looking for, it could land on your lap and you wouldn't know it. Um, so I say clarity because if you want to achieve happiness and fulfillment in your work, well, you have to know what you need to derive happiness and fulfillment. And then once you have that clarity, you know, circling back and saying, what does that mean for my work is actually what's going to allow you to identify what you want to do, or at least what you need to do if you want to feel happy and fulfilled in your work. So I think a lot of people are lured by the, um, the uh, attractiveness of like quick fixes and, you know, career strategy. And if I just land that promotion, I'll be happy. If I just like get paid more, I'll be happy or I'll just mm-hmm. change job and I'll feel happy over here. Um, but the truth of the matter is, The only way to achieve happiness is to know what you need to be happy. (laughs) So, and then go out and get it. So for me, the clarity piece is really about helping people know what they need and then help them apply that tangibly to their career. Damn. I wish I had you last year (laughs) when I was (laughs) figuring this all out. (laughs) Where I was like, I am so miserable in my job. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, Well, this is the thing. I mean, this was born because I went through this, Mm -hmm. right? Like I went through this myself. And can you imagine the imposter syndrome when you are like a personal and career counselor And you've been trained clinically and for the life of you, you've seen therapists and therapists and you've done your own homework. And like, there's nothing, there's no stigma attached to any of this for me, right? Like this is very, this is very, like, this is my familiar. I'm super comfortable in this, in this zone of like personal development and therapy and working on yourself. And, and yet I couldn't figure out why I was so unhappy and miserable in my supposedly meaningful career that I had intentionally chosen. Yeah, that could be right? like a mind fuck in a way. Oh my gosh, was it ever? 
So speaking of starting a business, right? What were some challenges that you faced when you started a business? But I think the main challenge starting out, which I think everyone can relate to, whether you have you are transitioning from a job or a different career or into entrepreneurship, is the mental madness, uh, which mm. is, you know, the insecurity, the self-doubt, the fear. Um, and I think the next level with entrepreneurship is dealing with uncertainty and unpredictability. But most people did not understand why I was leaving a respected career <laughs> to coach, right? And why I was starting an online business. So you're saying one of, one of the challenges you faced was just being taken seriously as this being a viable business. I don't I don't know that I cared so much about others taking me seriously at that point because I took myself seriously, but I can say that now. <laughs> I couldn't say that then, right? Like I think it, it was more about that radical self-trust that I've got something here. I have a vision and I have an impact I want to have and I'm going to pursue it even though nobody's going to understand it, might even judge me for it. And I don't even know if it's a viable solution to create an income for myself. Right? Like, so there's, there's such a deep level of uncertainty and unpredictability. And I just had to like, I honestly cocooned myself for a while and didn't really share with too many people what I was doing because I couldn't handle yet people's naysaying. Yeah, basically, like, there's a lot of, like, unknowns and uncertainties, and you're just, like, jumping into this, you know, essentially new world. And so you're you're yeah. trying to figure out your stuff. And when you have other people, you know, questioning you or projecting onto you, it just kind of, like, compounds or sort of, like, makes makes that worse like if you're already feeling like a bit unstable then right you know people's questionings and projections aren't really helping with that you were talking a lot about like uncertainty um, or just like going into the unknown or even like the messy middle, let's say, how do you, how do you stay grounded? I would say today it's a lot easier to stay grounded because I, my, my vision has come to life, right? So now I see the outcome I'm creating for my clients. So mm -hmm. that is like feedback that like, okay, you got this, right? Like when my clients mm -hmm. win, I win. So that keeps me grounded to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. uh, it, but if it, um, you know, it fuels that self-belief and that self-trust. And, and, and so it keeps me going. But more than that, like mindset, m training my brain <laughs> has been the biggest work I have done. And the tools I use to do that depends on the day. I don't always use the same thing. I know some people are really like, you got to do this every day. Um, it started with hypnosis actually, um, mm. self-hypnosis for um, integrating confidence and self-belief and self-trust, um, visualization, 
uh, to visualize the outcome, to visualize where I'm going, to visualize the impact, to visualize my the life I want to create for myself. And uh, it extends to simple things like journaling, um, gratitude journaling, and noting my wins. I think, you know, we're hardwired to, um, to identify what's not working, to find problems right? We're hardwired that way. It's a survival instinct. Um, and so our automatic response to things is to seek out problems. It's to seek out, um, you know, what's not going to work or what could go wrong. We're, we're not cavemen anymore. <laughs> really, as I like to say, like, we don't live in Kansas anymore, but our brain still, uh, you know, functions that way. So we have to intentionally retrain it. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that keeps me grounded is staying highly intentional. And that means focusing on my wins, even when they're intangible, mm-hmm. meaning I didn't, I didn't um, sign a new client today, or, you know, maybe I didn't, um, you know, the, the, the call, call didn't go as I would have hoped today. But what did happen today? That was great. Where mm-hmm. did I win today? And to remember that feelings are not facts, hence the journaling what's coming up for me feelings are information and Mm -hmm. it's what we lean into those feelings we actually and get curious about them that we're actually going to figure out what's going on and what we need and again our natural tendency and not judge ourselves exactly the self-compassion uh is another component training ourselves to be compassionate with whatever's coming up we are human i like the way you put that because i think often we get caught up in this unproductive cycle of judging ourselves about our emotions and feeling like, oh, you know, if I'm sad or angry, well, there's something wrong with me and uh, I Mm -hmm. need to be doing something different. And it's all my fault that I'm feeling this way. And it's like, no, uh, there's a reason you're feeling this way. But in order to actually deal with that feeling, you have to unpack that feeling and, and treat it as, like you said, information rather than thinking there's something wrong with you. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you said that so well. Um, exactly. It's really just looking at it and being like, what is this here to teach me? What is this here to show me? And not making it mean something about us. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not good enough. I should have this figured out. I shouldn't be feeling sh- feeling why aren't i making ten thousand dollars a month yet right (laughs) (laughs) all these influencers told me it was easy right especially on linkedin they're like i just made 10k like how about you and i'm like that's like yeah that's because you've been in business for six years like come on well this is the thing right like i'm sorry but overnight successes not a thing no i mean i don't i don't I don't, I mean, I'm not saying it can't happen. I just saying it's not common. Do you even want it to happen though? Because can you imagine if you became an overnight success, yeah. like a Oof. first month of your business, you wouldn't know how to deal with it. Yeah, Ab- absolutely. Great point. Good, good point. I know when I was starting this business, you know, there was a part of me that's like, okay, oh my God, like the anxious part of me, like, oh my God, I make money. I got to make money. I got to make money. I got to make money. Right. Like the anxious part. Cause like, hello, I have a young family. We have bills to pay. Like yeah. I got to eat. Um, so yeah, like there's a real fact there. And I think we put so much pressure on ourselves and I know, you know, I have experienced too many experiences with burnout 
And my biggest fear, although I want to make money, my fear is like for my business to fail. I also didn't want to ever get overwhelmed again. And I've noticed that the times that I've wanted or needed even to make more money in my business are times when I actually didn't have the energy to sustain it. Yeah, there's this constant juggle of because be owning your own business is great because you you do get to make your schedule to to some degree and sometimes you have to decide like do I need a break or you know mm-hmm. do I kind of like push through and you know take on an extra client or do a little extra work today we just we got to follow our own energy and yeah. rhythm and we get to do that as entrepreneurs. And also that means sometimes we're choosing time over money, you know? Mm-hmm. But I am curious because you're a mother. Um, do you have any advice for women who are juggling motherhood and owning a business or even parents, you know, juggling the two? Oh man. I think the main thing is I think I want to say this to that. What is expected of us as women and mothers, working women and mothers, mm-hmm. is completely unrealistic. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it's easy to look around and think like, well, everybody else is doing it and everybody else is managing their nine to five with the kids and the house and the things and all the, you know, and Mm -hmm. I had this discussion with my husband before we had kids and he kind of gave me a similar argument of like, well, everyone, because I told him, basically I told him that when we have kids, I, I would not work full time. And he's, he's very understanding. He's like, okay, Okay, but why? Like, he just didn't understand why, you know? And I'm like, because that I just don't want to live a hectic life like that. Mm. And he's like, okay, but, and, and this is like, it's going to sound judgy, but he really said it from a place of curiosity. He's like, okay, but if everybody else is doing it, like, why can't you? Mm. And I said, well, are they doing it sanely? And the answer is no. I've worked in mental health long enough to know that there's nothing normal or sane about the way we are living and working, hence why I want to change it. So Mm -hmm. if you're a working mom trying to do all the things, show yourself some compassion. Yeah. Because the expectations on us as women, as mothers, and as working moms is insane. And I encourage you to pay attention to what you really need and what's important to you and make choices that may be difficult, but that are right for you and your family, even if they go against the traditional mold. Can you give us an example of a choice that you had to make? Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, this whole coaching business, I thought I would have had to leave the helping profession because the work I do I love the work I do and it drains the life out of me. (laughs) Okay. And what I mean by that is helping others is incredibly demanding. Mm -hmm. 
And in the systems that I was expected to do it in, the demands just greatly outweighed the resources I had. And I think one of the issues that exists in the mental health profession is that we fail to remember that a mental health professional is a human. Mm-hmm. And um, we need to make space for their own care <laughs> so that they can show up powerfully for clients. And I refuse to stop helping and <laughs> do something, doing something I love because I couldn't fit in a mold somewhere. I made a conscious decision to put my family first. Um, and so I could be the mom I wanted to be because that was a core value of mine. And, um, I made a transition into an industry that was frowned upon. (laughs) So I could, and I had to relinquish my title to do this, by the way. So I could create an aligned values driven, authentically oriented life. Um, so that means I work less now but I service better and I am more available for the people I care about most. Those are some really important points that you just made, especially I think about working less. Mm -hmm. I find that, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion and conversation around, especially starting your own business, being an entrepreneur, even being a freelancer. Um, And there's this whole kind of, mythology built up around the idea that you need to grind and hustle mm-hmm. and you need to be working more than you've ever worked in your life to make your business succeed. And, you know, I see all these people talk about how busy they are and, uh, you know, they, they get up at 3 a.m. and they go to bed at midnight. Ooh. And it, it's, <laughs> yeah, that visceral reaction is mine as well. Right. Yeah. But it's like you watch all these people on like CNBC or Shark Tank talk about how they don't get any sleep and they barely see their families. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're not cut out for business. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, it bothers um, me. Yeah. Right? yeah, it bothers me because that's it's such an unhealthy way to look at living our lives. Why would I want my whole life to be work? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think it defeats, at least it would defeat the purpose for me of why I went into entrepreneurship entirely. But also, like you said, it promotes that hustle culture, right? Mm-hmm. That go, 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 which is why we're all sick and unhappy. So <laughs> let's not perpetuate yeah. that. And um, yeah, I think, you know, so a coach once told me uh, this and it really hit and it still hits for me. So I'm going to share it. There's no impossible goals. There are only impossible timelines. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, I love that. And for women especially, you know, I think we need to. put so much pressure. Yeah. Well, and look at the the whole like lean in feminism of people like Sheryl Sandberg, right? Where it's like, you got to be cutthroat, like a man. You got to lean in. You got to really commit. And, you know, it's like. Sure, you could try doing it that way, but you're probably not going to enjoy yourself. And like you were saying, mm-hmm. Lisa, you're probably going to end up cutting things out of your life that are actually very important to you, like your family. Right, um, yeah. And so when we talk about like life work balance, and especially for women uh, and for, for people who are parents, like y- you need to think carefully about like challenging the norms and expectations of our workplaces and our societies Mm. and i like how you said like 
that is one of the silver linings here of this pandemic. It's like, why are we expected to go into an office from nine to five? Why can't we work from home or at least have flex time now that we have the technology to do that? Right? Do we need a manager breathing down our neck every day? Or can we have just more flexible goals? And actually just questioning all these paradigms, I think, is is very important, you know, in addition to like thinking about like, well, how can I improve my approach to work? It's like, well, how can I push for change at my workplace? And Becky, I, I know you and I have had conversations about this because before you became a freelancer, uh, you were not happy with where you were working. And I remember you were on the culture committee at your job. And it was just, it was so clear <laughs> that they were not actually committed to changing the culture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a lot, what's that? There's some kind of saying of it's a lot harder to change a culture. Like it'll change you before you change it, essentially. Right. Something like that. Like it is true. I mean, if there's, you know, underlying issues or toxicity, that's really hard to change. And if there's only like select people that are on board with that it's like no no no. everyone has to be on board with it and especially management you know especially the ceo like what kind of um you know example are they setting and if they're not willing to change their attitudes or the way that they work then it's like forget it <laughs> get out of there <laughs> well that's exactly it like culture is a top down yeah. culture is created from the top down but where i think we forget as employees is at least this is how, you know, I went from somebody who wanted to change all the systems and change the world <laughs> to I'm going to work with one person at a time. And what I learned on my own journey is we have to be our own strongest advocate. And mm. what I mean by that is we have to ask for what we want and need in our work. Uh, you know, and in our life, but in, you know, speaking specifically to career in our work, um, if number one, we have a chance of getting it. And uh, to do that, we need to have clarity, right? We need to know what we need and what we're looking for. And we have to be willing to walk away from people, places and opportunities that don't align with that. And we're seeing that in the pandemic. Um, because what happens is people, people have, their backs have been pushed against the wall. People are hanging on by threads. So now they are in survival mode. So now they're unapologetically asking for what they need because it's a survival, it's a question of survival. And now employers are listening because they have no choice for the purpose of retention. So what if we didn't wait till our back was against the wall? And this is not about being rigid, right? It's not about like being hardcore rigid, but it's about um, knowing what we want and need and being willing to ask for it, you know, and when it's really impacting on our well-being and our work satisfaction, our life satisfaction, then we have to have a tough conversation with ourselves and if we've tried everything in that work environment to articulate what we need, then at some point we have to make the decision to either accept it or leave it. And 
we live in, you know, people are often driven by fear, that scarcity mindset, which is, well, what if I don't find another job like this one? What if I'm not good enough? What if I, you know, make a mistake? And that fuels the the tolerance, even though it's also creating, you know, unhappiness and unfulfillment, and that's going to permeate into other areas of their life. So Yes, there's like the culture, that's a top down thing. And as somebody who went to bat to try to see change systems, <laughs> to be honest, um, that's a lot of energy. And it, it it's, 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 you can't do it alone. That that cu- culture change comes from the top down, but how we can as a collective participate in changing that in my view, is by becoming our own best advocate. But to do that, we need to know what we want and need. We need to know how to um, articulate that. We need to know how to ask for it. We have to have the courage to ask for it and walk away from people, places, and things that don't support that. Um, But it works because we're seeing it. Employers are bending. Employers are adapting because their businesses need humans, and the humans are pushing back. So that's how I see how we can make collective change at a work at a work level. And it's why I'm so passionate about the work I do, because it's it's not just about helping one person achieve fulfillment and happiness in their career and finding the way to do that. But it's also about, you know, um, continuing the work that the pandemic has started in creating healthier, psychologically safe workplaces where people can thrive i got chills from everything that you've said (laughs) (laughs) like everything what are you writing a manifesto yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness i have to say it's the first time i really say this with that much depth out loud good because i know it seems crazy to a lot of people you heard it here first folks Yeah, literally. We're, you we heard are it here breaking first. you down here. <laughs> yeah. It um sort of sort of what you said reminds me of this. I mean, it's a very simple quote, but I just thought it was really like it's a nice reminder. So it's. If it doesn't bring peace, profits, or purpose, then don't give it your time, energy, or attention. Mm. And and lately, I've been using it more so with, like, I would say, loose loose tie connections or, or sort of like acquaintances. And I know that the pandemic has kind of wiped out a lot of those connections, but I see now that they're sort of resurfacing. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I'm saying... I'm sort of going into it more so with this mindset of if they're if if there's you know leaking in some negativity or toxicity it's like is that really worth it right. you know I'm not here for a fixer upper project so <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't need no fixer upper bad don't need no fixer upper clients oh. <laughs> oh no no I don't need that <laughs> no no drama no drama so I know we spoke a lot about career and I love hearing how passionate you are, but I would love it if we did like a 
not like a rapid fire round, but maybe to that degree of just, (laughs) yeah, lightning round of like, we want to ask some more personal questions and uh, get to know who, who Lisa is outside of, outside of work and being a business owner. What are like three weird slash interesting things about you? (laughs) And I know this is a very random question, but (laughs) let's just go with it. I'm pretty passionate and intense. My favorite hobbies, and me and my husband get into arguments about this being a hobby (laughs) or not. Uh, My favorite hobbies are eating and sleeping. Um, Ooh, (laughs) I kind of like it. Right. Um, Does he see it more of like, it's a necessity of like life, like sustainability? Uh, yeah. Well, he's like, well, that's not a hobby. Like in his mind, hobby is like a sport or like knitting or like, Mm. you know, uh, but I'm like, no, because I love naps and I argue Mm. that if it's something that you enjoy doing, Mm. then it's a hobby, right? Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I think we have this idea that hobbies have to be these productive things that we do that aren't jobs. Yes. No, I, maybe you could describe yourself as a nap connoisseur. Oh my Ooh. gosh. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that. That sounds so you know, much fancier. Like you 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 have a deep and intimate knowledge of like the right firmness of pillow that you need and <laughs> just what what is the perfect lighting level for you to really get into that nice somnambulant state, you know? You like, know what? perfect time too. You know what, Kara, the thing is, this is the, th- uh, the you're saying that and I'm like I actually I just I don't care. I could sleep anywhere. It's truly a gift. Like wow. <laughs> so this is a talent you have for now. I guess. <laughs> I love sleeping. It's such a joy for me. Um, it's so pathetic. I know. Um, yeah, Why is that so- pathetic? Remember, I'm coming at this from the point of view of like, we don't sleep enough, right? Like that is yeah, one true. of the things in our society that um, I really dislike is that emphasis on you have to be awake and alert and working all the time. So I'm so mm-hmm. glad that you love sleep. I love it. I too. do. Uh, okay. I well, that. I feel better now. Thank you. And eating because who doesn't love eating? Um, Food is such a joy. Uh, keeping in with the uh, the three weird or interesting things about you, Lisa, maybe can you think of something that people kind of often assume about you, maybe before they've met you in person or something, but they would probably get wrong? Maybe when it comes to like, um, like how like extroverted you are, like, is there like mm. a misconception about that? Oh, yes. Good one. I think you know me, Becky. That's why you brought that up. Uh, Yeah. Um, So I think I have been told my entire life, oh my gosh, you're like super extroverted. And I'm not. Hmm. I had to learn this about myself. I am such an introvert. And in fact, I mean, that tracks with the sleeping. Right? (laughs) Right? Exactly. I and you know, like how to distinguish between extrovert introvert is like Mm -hmm. how you refill your cup, right? So I love people. I'm obsessed Mm -hmm. with people. I'm super sociable. And I need time away from people. Um, So it's, it's finding that balance. But I'm definitely an introvert. One of my friends you know, her joke with me is, um, you know, she, if she, you know, kids, sometimes we have to cancel our plans and whatever. Um, and she'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like this came up. I have to cancel. And I'm like, okay. She's like, oh, right. You don't care. Cause you like being alone. Yeah. <laughs> my, my therapist recently accused me of no longer being an introvert because I've had a little bit more success of 
making friends and being a little bit more sociable this past year, and I got mm-hmm. offended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he took offense. That's funny. <laughs> so both of you are like, it's like the opposite, like, yeah, it's like the opposite, uh, I don't know, issues, but like uh, being like on the introversion, extroversion spectrum and then people misconceiving that. Mm-hmm. So interesting. How, how dare they misread me? Right. How dare, how dare they? they? <laughs> yeah. We we should probably wrap things up. Becky, did you want to ask this question about Zone of Genius? Um, No, because it's more, I mean, in, unless you want to talk about it, Lisa, I just had a question about like... Um, I'm just curious because I, I haven't heard about this. Your Zone of Genius. So, yeah, so Zone of Genius to me is the overlap between what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, and what you can make money doing. So is this a sorry? Is this a phrase that you've come up with and coined, or is this something that you've come across in your work? Oh, I don't know that it, that I've. I don't think I've coined it. I don't think I made made this up. I don't know where I've heard it, but I talk. I there's a whole section in my coaching on identifying your zone of genius. So I guess what I shared with you is my definition and what I teach people to do in my program. So, but I don't think I've coined that. <laughs> okay. No, that that makes a lot of sense. I, I think, you know, I like to think about how, for example, I'm very good at techie stuff and like web design and web development. And I do that on an amateur basis. And people often ask me, they're like, well, why don't you become a freelance web developer? And I'm like, I don't really want to make money from that. It's not something that mm. I think I would enjoy if I had to do it for money. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, so there's that piece. And I think a lot of people, and the reason why I do this work is a lot of people confuse a lot of reasons why people get stuck professionally is because they're focused on what they can do versus on what they want to do. Mm. And the problem with that is you, if you look at your resume and you look at like all the things and the skills you have acquired, the competencies you have and the things you have done, but you're saying, but I'm not happy doing that anymore. But then you go out and look for a job because based on those skills, you're always going to end up kind of doing the same things, but you're kind of mm-hmm. creating the problem. But if you distinguish between what you can do versus what you actually want to do, and you find that overlap between the things that you're good at and the things that you enjoy, hence want to do, now you just have to figure out how to market it and where to apply it. Lisa, let's finish things off with a book recommendation. One book you'd recommend to our listeners could be career related, life related, or just a good read that you've, you know, read recently. Oh my gosh, there's so many, but uh, I think the one that was defining for me is an old one. It's not new, but it's Brene's Brown, The Gift of Imperfection. Mm. The Gift of Imperfection mm-hmm. has changed a lot of things for me. That one and Daring Greatly, but honestly, just go read anything Brene Brown. There's other, there's other stuff too, but if you're starting on this journey. <laughs> of like personal development and you know self-awareness and self-discovery and just start with the gift of imperfection awesome thank Mm. you so what would you like to plug lisa do you have anything uh, you want to promote where can people find you online yeah sure so uh if you want to know more about me or what i do you can find me on instagram on linkedin uh and facebook i'm most active on instagram and linkedin so my handle on instagram is at lisa underscore d underscore life by design and on linkedin it's lisa di domenico career coach 
And in terms of anything I want to plug <laughs> is, um, well, what I did recently is I've been doing market research and I've been collecting data and deepening my knowledge on understanding humans and why they end up, end up being stuck and unfulfilled. And I created a short training, a 16 minute video about um, why you're stuck and um, how to go about achieving career fulfillment without sacrificing your 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 salary, without sacrificing what's important to you and um, uh, starting over because that's what people think they have to do. So if that's something you want to look at, it's completely free. You can find the link on any of my social media channels or on my website at lisadlifebydesign.com. Do you want to plug your email as well? Sure. If you want to reach me directly, it's lisa at lisadlifebydesign.com. Speaking of connecting, Becky, how can people connect with our podcast? Oh, well, we have a Facebook page that, again, I need to update. <laughs> Cara's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> we just like to talk. Uh, we also have an email. We just like to talk at gmail.com. Feel free to send us questions or anything you want, really. I mean, fan mail is pretty cool. <laughs> but, yeah. Awesome. And we have a website. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> We just like to talk. <laughs> Dot com. And obviously you can find us, uh, you know, anywhere and everywhere that podcasts are available. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us, Lisa. This has been great. Thank this you for having wonderful. me. You guys have been awesome. It's great chat. <laughs>